We continue our Lenten worship of praying with the Psalms on the second Sunday of Lent. May God open our ears, minds, and hearts to this ancient song as we pray along with, alongside the psalmist. Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? My tears have been my food both day and night, as people constantly question me, where's your God now? But I remember these things as I bear my soul, how I made my, one, my way to the mighty one's abode, to God's own house. With joyous shouts and thanksgiving songs, a huge crowd celebrating the festival. Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give God thanks, my saving presence and my God. My whole being is depressed. That's why I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep called to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your massive waves surged over me. By day, the Lord commands his faithful love. By night, his song is with me. A prayer to God of my life. I will say to God, my solid rock, why have you forgotten about me? Why do I have to walk around sad, oppressed by enemies? With my bones crushed, my foes make fun of me, constantly questioning me, where is your God now? Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give God thanks, my saving presence and my God. The poetry of God for the people of God. Let us continue praying with the psalmist as heard in Eugene Peterson's translation. O oh God, as a white-tailed deer drinks from the creek, I want to drink from you, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive, and I wonder will I ever make it? Will I ever arrive and drink in God's presence? 
because I've been on a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering, where is this God of yours? These are the things I go over and over, emptying out the pockets of my life. I was always at the head of the worshiping crowd, right out in front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating all of us at God's feast. But now I ask, why are you down in the dumps, my dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God and soon I'll be praising again. For God can put a smile in my soul. God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say amen. I want to be a little closer with you today, so I came out here. Can everyone hear me okay in the back? Great. It's good to be with you. This sermon may not have fully gelled yet, so I welcome your prayers, as we say it. You've noticed that we are steeping ourselves in the Psalms during the season of Lent, a time in which we connect more deliberately with our souls and with God. Although I'm aware sometimes some of us may ask what that means. And I want to apologize to the people at home. You're getting a different angle from me today, which is fine. Uh, but hopefully you can hear okay. We're steeping ourselves in a psalm. We started with a psalm chant of today's Psalm 42. We had an opening hymn that is several psalms. Our prayer of confession is Psalm 51, the one we believe King David wrote after his adultery with Bathsheba. We are surrounding ourselves in these ancient poetry and hymns and prayers that people have been doing for centuries. And I like to think of it as a river of life, a river of prayer which we are entering into. And by swimming and wading in it in these psalms, it may teach us something about our prayer life and how we may pray with more confidence, more courage, that it may actually serve us in ways that we need. So that's our hope by steeping in the Psalms throughout Lent. There's a study after worship, which I invite you all to come to. But as we think about this Psalm today, about the deer panting for the water brooks, I want to talk a little bit about our relationship with water, our physical relationship with water. I'm curious how many of you have ever been dehydrated? Oh, wow. More than I thought. Okay. So my experience of dehydration happened when I was 13. My last sermon, I told you a story about Israel. I'm going to tell you another story about Israel. When I was 13, my family took a Holy Land pilgrimage with about 120 Southern Baptists to the countries of Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Greece, and then the Passion Play in Bavarian over Amargau, over like 10 days. And um, it was a pilgrimage which a group from my church went to. And it was the first time my eyes had been opened to a lot of the rest of the world, stepping over open slums and sewers in Cairo and seeing people build their shacks on the top of tall buildings or seeing people who actually were shepherds and goat herds just like out of the pages of the scriptures still doing these ancient professions. It was eye-opening to my 13-year-old self. Now, one of the things you may or may not know about me is that I like to drink water. I always have. Staff has never commented on this, but the moment I enter the building, I pour myself a glass of water. 
If I'm a guest at your house, I usually will ask first for a glass of water. My, in, my sister and brother-in-law have finally picked up on this and they just offer it to me when I come in. I was like that as a kid and when we arrived in Cairo, we stayed at the historic Shepherd's Hotel, which is right on the Nile River. It's famous for Herbert Hoover, from our perspective, having stayed there. Many dignitaries stayed there over the years. It was a elegant but yet a bit shabby in 1980 with a wonderful dining room on the top floor that it wouldn't be odd to see a stray cat walk into and into the plantings. And we had wonderful meals and great hospitality. And I was in the desert for the first time in July and August. And our inexperienced tour guide said, it's fine to drink the water here. So I drank six to eight glasses of that wonderful Cairo water every meal and enjoyed the fresh salads and fresh fruit about five days later, I was not well, and my whole system spoke to me. As our pilgrimage group stepped onto a boat to the Sea of Galilee, I was throwing up overboard. As I went to the Western Wall, I fainted. And for the first time in my life, I lost my appetite, just as I was hitting my growth spurt. And I also walked around Jerusalem in a hallucinogenic haze. I've never done psychedelics yet, but it's as close as I can imagine being on mushrooms. And my mother, of course distressed, was like, is there anything that sounds good to you to eat? And I said, well, maybe peanut butter. <laughs> this is Jerusalem 42 years ago. and. Uh, she went to, I think, three different supermarkets and found a Canadian brand of peanut butter, which was, of course, exotic in itself at that time. The good news was that our next-door neighbor, who was a gastroenterologist, was on the trip. And he had brought along some wonderful drugs. He and his son were the only two people on the whole tour of 120-something that didn't drink the water. And uh, he kept checking in on me regularly and helped me get back to health, which actually didn't fully happen till months later. What it impressed upon me at a young age is the delicacy of our systems, these bodily systems were given, and the importance of water. I know that the doctors and physical therapists and physical trainers among us will salute my drinking water so regularly and often. We're supposed to have somewhere between three to four quarts of water every day to maintain our system, to keep us healthy, to keep the joints good, to keep our system and immune system healthy. We are 80% water. It's true for the deer of the Middle East, which almost went extinct, but they've brought them back. Similar size to a human being who need three to four quarts of water per day. It's hard to do in the desert. And I can only imagine, as the psalmist noticed these deer panting and going to the riverside, what they needed to keep themselves healthy and whole. As I looked at this psalm today, and there are other psalms of longing, I wondered what you long for and what it means for us to long for God. I was comforted in reading one commentator who said he tries to follow God, he tries to give um, allegiance to God, he tries to honor the things that God honors, but longing for God, he's not sure if he ever actually feels this. And what would it feel like? 
And he said, maybe it's because I've never had that experience of being in the desert and parched for God's presence. This psalm is a psalm of someone in distress, someone who knows depression, someone who knows what it's like to have a lead blanket over their psyche and their soul for days and weeks on end. And they know what it means to have this internal feeling, even if everything on the external end looks like it should be working out okay. They are desperate for the presence of something healthy and healing. Any of you who've worked or experienced depression know what this is like, to long for this presence, this healing, this kindness. So I would invite all of us to check in about what is it you long for. Is it peace and contentment? Is it a freedom from anxiety? Is it a loving partner or a job or work that you love? Or is it a sense that the kids are actually going to be all right? You may have many longings. And my prayer is that in this Lent tide, as in all our time, but we might practice into saying those longings out loud to God and to one another. Because the fact is, I think many of us share these longings. We try to slake our thirst sometimes with things that actually aren't going to hydrate us. Sometimes we slake this thirst and longing with things like drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or busyness or a sense that we have to do everything or our own sense that we don't measure up. God is interested in giving us living water. Some of you have heard me talk over the years about how the big surprise in ministry has been that it's 90% administration. And the things that you often think you're going to do as a pastor, things like giving a sermon or praying with people or pastoral counseling, often get overwhelmed by trying to run a small nonprofit. And I've enjoyed everything I've learned in this place. Some of you who are worried about me resigning, I'm not going to resign. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm not interested in resigning. Some of the things I, I'm grateful to learn about running a nonprofit, many times from members of the congregation who know how to do it much better than I do. But it has chipped away sometimes at my sense of what I got into this vocation for. And I'm very grateful for the opportunities that you've given me, including my sabbatical. But also two years ago, I went to a contemplative prayer retreat in Wisconsin. You all remember that's the prayer retreat where I busted my other knee. I was praying very vigorously at that retreat. But there has been in me a quiet longing to be more drinking from the tap of God. I pray with you all the time, and we lead worship. But for my own prayer life, my own sense, independent of what we do together, has been crying out as a panting deer in the desert. And I'm grateful to say that through several circumstances over the past two years, it has been refreshed again and again. And one of the things I've been doing regularly, some of you know this, is I've been dipping into a monastery that I've been a part of for 30 years, but now I go to worship two to five times a week, usually in the morning for 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes in the evening. It feels like an extravagance, and I think I'm sure there are other things I could be doing. But my soul has been longing for this for quite some time. And my prayer is only that not only will it feed my soul, but it will help me to nourish your souls in the work we do here together.
I'm grateful to the monks there who've known me for a long time, one who's my spiritual director, who sense this longing and this daily rhythm of spiritual meals they do 27 times a week as a resource to pray. So my parting message to you is just to say that whatever you're longing for, pay attention to it. Listen to it. Because I believe God wants to honor it and God wants to hear from you. And together in this community, we are here to support and help one another in our longings. I close with another prayer of longing, Psalm 63, as translated by Eugene Peterson. Let us pray together. God, you're my God, and I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for you, traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I'm really living at last, and my lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill, prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips when it's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play, and I hold on to you for dear life. And you hold me steady as a post. The king is glad in God. I am glad in God. And my true friends help me spread the joy. May it be so, God. May it be so. And let the people say,